take God's word in your hands and turn to the book of Hebrews this morning, the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our uh, passage on page 1001, 1001 in the Pew Bible that is found in the Pew Rack in front of you. Also grab that sermon insert page. Um, I'm going to encourage you to take lots of notes. We're going to be talking about a lot of passages of Scripture, and it'd be good for you to write them down so you can uh, take a look at those uh, after uh, we're done this morning. Well, as our video has just shown us, we're in a series that we've entitled Invisible War, a study uh, on uh, the uh, topic of spiritual warfare. And we're uh, now probably about three-quarters of the way through it. Uh, this study that we've been focusing in on has been broken into four sections. In section number one, we looked at our need to be alert and aware that there is a war going on. And it's a reminder for us each and every day <clears throat> that we are in a battle against evil, against sin, and in some ways even against our own uh, flesh and, and blood in the sense that we are fighting some of our own selfish and, and sinful indulgences that our bodies so uh, greatly desire. We need to be aware of that. In part number two, we talked about uh, the uh, enemies that we are fighting, those adversaries of the devil, of the world and its system, and as I said already, our, our flesh, and uh, understanding and recognizing how they wage war, um, what they're trying to do um, as an end game in, in disrupting our walk with God and, and disqualifying us from fruitful ministry. And we recognize <clears throat> that each of those are, are ones we need to take uh, um, real care around. We need to understand why uh, they are in the, the world and what they are trying to accomplish in their task. And number three, as we continued in this, like any good soldier would, uh, we want to look at our uh, allies, uh, those that are fighting alongside us. And we've talked about two of them so far, the ally of um, the Holy Spirit who lives and resides within us, uh, who allows us to live out the fruit of the Spirit, who allows us uh, to not gratify the sinful nature. Uh, we also learned last week that uh, those sitting around you, the local church, is, is an ally for us as we encourage one another, as we exhort one another, holding one another accountable. Uh, as we bear with one another in our burdens, uh, we are able to be more victorious together than we would ever be uh, on our own. But that leaves one final uh, ally this week, and we'll be studying the, the subject of angels this morning as an, an ally. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to finish this series looking at uh, the weapons of warfare that God has given us to be victorious uh, in this battle against sin and evil. But this morning, as I've said, we're going to focus in on the subject of angels. Now, we talked about uh, the devil and demons a couple weeks ago, and so we're coming to the other side of the coin, looking at uh, these allies, these holy angels of God, who God has given us as instruments of his grace and mercy as he uses them in very key parts of our lives. Now, when you talk on the subject of angels, right away you would think, that's kind of crazy. If you were a newcomer into Village Bible Church or any church this morning, I know there are many times when I will get up and I know that if there's someone new, they're going to think we are absolutely out of our mind, right? We're going to talk about a man who lived 2,000 years ago, who we believe is God, who died on a cross, a wooden cross, who bled blood, and that blood that was shed for us now saves us from our sins and will give us an eternity with God. That's, that's not easy stuff to swallow if you're a newcomer to Christianity, and I would think that angels would be one of those things, but 
uh, it's a pretty amazing that the world seems to really enjoy conversations about angels. If you're a newcomer, the subject of angels shouldn't be something that throws you off because when you're in the world and apart from church, you, you will see over and over again that we in the world love the subject of angels. Our culture is full of the life and times of angels. They're commonplace and even strangely mainstream. While our world uh, has no desire for the things of God, angels have somehow become a part of the culture. They're in our homes as we decorate with angels. We have them in pictures and, and in art. We read about them and their activities in books. We sing about them even in secular songs. We watch them on TV shows and in the movie. And while our media and our world despise the things of God, they have somehow been touched, no pun intended, by an angel. The problem is, is while angels may be something that the world loves to embrace, they have created a new definition of who angels are and what angels are called to do. And so I want to dissuade some of those unbiblical myths this morning about angels. There's four of them that I want to just quickly bring to your attention. Hopefully, uh, you know, you will be thinking differently after this sermon about some of these myths. But the first one is, maybe some of you have come this morning, and you hear the word angel, and the image that comes up is of a chubby baby in a diaper floating around on a cloud. That is not a biblical understanding of angels. Nowhere in the Bible do angels seem to have a weight problem, look like babies, wear diapers, and float around in clouds. There's nothing in Scripture, not even close, that, that shares that. Number two myth is that angels aren't ones who receive their wings when a bell rings. Okay, from the uh, incredible, and uh, it's getting closer and closer that time, we should start seeing Christmas movies here, probably in September. Um, but in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, the little girl at the end of it, in her arms of Jimmy Stewart, the actor who plays the father, as she announces in that sweet little soprano voice that every time the bell rings... An angel gets its wings. That, that's not the case at all. Nowhere in Scripture uh, do we have that. That's something that Hollywood has invented. It's a myth. Number three, angels. Angels are not dead people on the highway to heaven. Okay? Uh, they're not Michael Landon and whatever that bushy big guy was, Mr. Edwards from Little House on the Prairie. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and it reminds me absolutely how old I really am. Okay? And if you're laughing, that means you're old as well. So, but they're not dead people, okay? Uh, we are told that uh, when, when human beings die, they are um, taken to one of two places, the presence of God or out of total and utter presence of God uh, in hell. And those two places are there. They don't serve in any other way than worshiping and praising the name uh, of Jesus or, or, or enduring the pain and sorrow that that separation from God would be like. We, our, our uh, family members and friends who have gone before us are not receiving their wings. They're not angels. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. It's, it's a myth. And finally, number four, uh, angels uh, do not wear halos. They do not play harps. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that that is their headdress or that is their instrument of choice. They may play harps. They're musical creatures, uh, but nowhere does it uh, articulate that that's solely what they're doing. So the question this morning we want to understand is, what does the Bible say about these allies? 
And what we're going to learn is not only do these allies serve God in this spiritual battle against evil, but they also have been given the role, the job description of ministering, we're going to learn in Hebrews chapter 1, ministering to those who have received Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now, this is where a myth kind of kind of comes into biblical view. One of the things that uh, many will say is, I have a guardian angel. And I don't know if I've been assigned a guardian angel, but Hebrews chapter 1 and, and a passage in Matthew where Jesus speaks, speaks to the essence that there are angels watching over us and caring for us and ministering uh, on our needs. Now, whether or not I have a personal one or not, I don't know, but the Bible does seem to say that that the role of angels is to be a guardian of those who have inherited salvation. And we'll talk about that a little more. But that's where one of those myths does draw from some biblical truth. Now, what does the Bible say about angels? So just, uh, I know you guys like numbers. The, the Bible talks about angels about 273 different times. And so the word angels comes up quite a bit. It's referred to, the word angels, in 34 of the 66 books of Scripture. And it's all over the Old Testament and all over the New Testament. So this isn't something stuck with one genre of Scripture or one particular passage of Scripture. It is all throughout. Angels are talked about over and over again. So it's important for us as ones who want to study the Word of God and understand what the Word of God says. We've got to study angels. We've got to understand who they are, what they do, and how they are ministering uh, to us. And, and as a result of that, we're going to look at a scripture this morning that's going to guide us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, is going to guide us to answer three questions this morning about angels. Now, in the middle of the passage, in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews is declaring his main thesis of the first part of the book of Hebrews, and that is Jesus' supremacy over all things. And one of the things that he talks about is that Jesus, in chapter 1, is superior to angels. And we're going to see that uh, over and over again. We need to recognize this morning, Jesus is not an angel. Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God. He was with God in the beginning, and we're going to learn the difference between angels and Jesus in that way. He was with God in the beginning. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And he is God, not some lieutenant in God's army. But we're going to see that Jesus is superior to angels. And so let's look to the scriptures this morning and learn about these angels and use the passage before us as kind of an outline and guide this morning. As you stand for the reading of God's word, short passage of scripture, but let's give reverence to it as we read the word of God. Here is what Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says. Are they, speaking angels, are angels, not all, ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize this morning we're in a battle. And it's not an easy battle. This life, you promised, would not be easy. It would be filled with trials and tribulations. It would be filled with temptations that would abound all around us. We are told that we have an enemy roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour and Lord, we come into this place recognizing that we are not equal to the task against this, this enemy, the devil. We're not equal to the task against the world. We're not equal to the task even with regards to our own earthly desires that, that wage war within us. And so we need 
someone to bring us the victory. Jesus Christ, we are so thankful that you came. You became one of us. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross to take our place. And we praise your name in song and in word and in prayer this morning because you are not only our victor, but you have given us victory in this war against sin and evil. But Lord, you've also not only given us the victory that we will experience the fullness of in, in the days to come when we spend eternity with you, but you have also given us allies. And Lord, we're not sure exactly how we ought to pray with regards to angels, but we recognize you use them in powerful ways to minister to us. And so, Lord, we pray that, that you would unleash your angels, your uh, army of angels, to minister to us. We need um, grace and mercy from you, and we recognize from the scriptures that you send them out as, as the delivery men that uh, deliver those good things to us. And so, Lord, we we ask with, with even coveting hearts that you would bless us in that way. Now teach us about these ministers that you, you have created and you've given the task of ministering on your behalf to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the scripture starts out, and, and you, if you notice in verse 14, it's a question. Are they not all ministering spirits? So let's ask the question this morning, who are these spirits that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? That's the first question we want to answer this morning. Who are these ministering spirits? First of all, we need to understand what they're called. They're called angels. Angels literally in the Greek means delegate or messenger. And so it, it tells us more about what they do than really who they are. And so we need to ask the question this morning, what do we know about angels? And as I've told you already, the Bible speaks much to the subject matter of angels. And what we'll see through Scripture, and have your pen ready, because I'm going to give a lot of references this morning, that the Scripture tells us, first of all, that angels are created beings. They are created beings. And so according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, when the Bible says that all things were created by Christ and through Christ, that we must recognize that in that term all, angels are a part of that uh, word all. Uh, angels, like all of creation, were brought into existence by the power of God's word alone. In Job 38.7, Job 38.7, we are told that angels sang as God laid the foundation of the earth. And so what we need to recognize is, is if the angels were singing when God was laying the foundation of the universe that we live in, then we must recognize that angels predate humanity in the order of creation. That means angels have been around longer than we have been. Now we don't know what day of creation per se, maybe even before the heavens and the earth were made, angels were, were there. We don't know. Nowhere does it give us a time of when angels, if you were, were born or, or created. And so we have nothing to really put as a starting date for them. But the Bible does tell us that God created angels and he created them differently than, than the way he created us. You and I are made as physical and spiritual creatures. Angels have no physical characteristics to them. Uh, they are not made of flesh and blood. A.W. Tozer uh, said it this way. He said of angels, they are beings who are of another substance altogether. 
one that has no weight. Some of us would like to be angels in that way, amen? No weight, no dimension, nor existence in space. And while they are different, he says, they are all together real. And so we need to understand that, that we're not talking about ghosts, uh, figments of our imagination, uh, hallucinations. What we are talking about is real creatures, but those that do not carry the same elements of who we are as human beings. Unlike us, angels do not marry. They do not procreate. Again, they don't have any flesh and blood. But in some ways, angels as created beings are, are like us. They speak. They sing. They even in some ways, and probably not to the fullness of what we have, but they have some level of emotion. You see them filled with joy. You see them filled with expression. These are not seeming robots who are just uttering um, emotionless words or, or thoughts. They also are, are discerning creatures. They recognize, if you remember any time an angel showed up, we'll talk about this in a moment, that they would say, do not be afraid. They're able to, to understand that uh, the situation, the atmosphere, the environment that, that is around, that they can speak to it. But unlike man, they do not carry the image of God. You see, that's what makes us incredibly special as human beings that we are image bearers of God. But just like angels, or just, I'm sorry, just like humans, angels have some real limitations. We want to be careful that while angels are incredible creatures, they do have many limitations that keep them, if you will, from ever thinking they can be like God. First of all, uh, angels are not omnipresent. It would seem that angels are not everywhere at all times. In fact, we see in the scriptures where angels find themselves traveling about even amongst the heavenly realms. They find themselves bound to time and space. In the book of Daniel, an angel speaks to Daniel and says, Hey, I, I wanted to come and bring the answer to your prayer, Daniel, but I was stopped for 21 days, he says, by a demon that was keeping him from bringing the answer of prayer. And it wasn't until a greater angel came and, and freed this lower angel up that he was able to uh, get there. But it took 21 days. So he, the angels are bound to, to some level of time and space. The, the second thing we need to understand is they, they are not omniscient. They don't know all things. The Bible says that angels do not know the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so they don't know all things as God does. And so they are looking to God. The Bible says that they intently look into certain things. They investigate. So they are unaware of certain things. While their minds may be incredible uh, treasures of knowledge, they by no means ever rival God because they do not know everything. Finally, we know they're not omnipotent. They are not omnipotent. In Revelation 7, 1, we are told that it takes four angels, four angels, not one, not two, not three, but four angels to hold back the winds of destruction uh, that are going to uh, take place on the earth in a future time of tribulation. And so we recognize that they have some level of limitation with regards to their power. And so we recognize they are a limited creature. But I want to make this abundantly clear, and something that we must remember. Angels are of a higher created order than you and I in mankind. 
What that means is, in, in many ways, they, they carry um, a greater, uh, not position is the wrong word, but of, they are significantly greater as creatures than we are. The Bible says, who is man that God is mindful of him? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, it speaks of, of Christ when it says that when Jesus was found in his humanity, he was made a little lower than the angels. And that's the amazing thing. And we'll talk about this in a moment with what the angels are thinking about, redemption and all of that. We need to recognize while we are lesser than the angels, God, for whatever reason, has desired to pour out his love and his grace on us in ways that the angels could never comprehend. And so that helps us to understand that while we may be lesser creatures, God loves us so much more. Uh, a couple other things about angels we want to move through quickly. Number one, they've been counted. They've been counted. Now, some of those that are familiar with Scripture would say, anytime the Bible ever speaks about angels, it speaks in generalities, Tim. It speaks of angelic hosts too vast to count. And, and I would agree with that, that yes, angels are too much for us to count. But I want you to be aware of this this morning. God knows every one of them by name. He knows every one of them. He knows just as he knows us. He knows angels personally. They all have a place in his created order. And they all have a purpose for their existence. They seemingly have names throughout the scriptures and even through uh, Christian tradition. Angels have carried names in the Bible. We, we see the name Gabriel, Michael, even the name Lucifer, uh, uh, the name of the devil before he fell into sin when he was the guardian cherub of all of heaven. But how many are there? We don't know. But the Word of God helps us to understand a little bit of the vastness of their number. First of all, we are told in Revelation that a third of the angels fell from heaven in the devil's rebellion against God. A third of them. And so God has them counted. God knows exactly how many of them are there and how many of them in that rebellion fell. But how many of a third, or a third of how many is the question. Hebrews 12.22, Hebrews 12.22 says that angels are thousands upon thousands. In Revelation 5.11, it says thousands upon thousands. Well, we got that already in Hebrews, but John goes more, and what he sees is not only thousands upon thousands of angels, but 10,000 times 10,000 are the number of angels that are encircled around the throne. So he's only seeing a, a, a glimpse of heaven and the heavenly picture. And he says, not only do I see thousands of thousands, but 10,000 times 10,000 are the number of those that are encircled around the throne of God. We are talking a vast number of angels. The Bible uses phrases like this to describe seemingly, in human words, a limit, limitless number of angels. Let me remind you, in a sermon series on spiritual warfare, we have the numbers behind us. God's armies are never outnumbered, as if God needs those numbers to be victorious. But God, just to put an exclamation point on it, reminds the devil he's already lost. Look at my army. 10,000 times 10,000, vast and limitless, are the soldiers of God in heaven. Well, what else do we need to understand about angels? They have a certain classification. 
The Bible doesn't say much about this, but what it does say is enough for us to take notice this morning. When the Bible speaks of angels, it speaks of different kinds of angels. We have, first of all, the archangels. And the archangels are are those that are called Michael and Gabriel, and there may be others. Uh, These are uh, angels, are God's elite special forces. They're God's Navy uh, Team 6, okay? SEAL Team 6. These are the ones that God sends on the most important of missions, the most difficult assignments. God sends these archangels to to, uh, address what he wants done in those moments. We need to recognize that, that, that the devil himself was one of these incredible angels. In some ways, maybe uh, the highest of all angels. In a passage which is, has some level of obscurity in the book of Jude, only one chapter, the, the Bible talks about the situation that takes place over the dispute of Moses' body. And it says that God sends uh, Michael, the archangel, to go and to uh, deal with Moses' dead body. And when he gets there, there's a dispute because the devil is there. And the devil, for whatever reason, and we are not told why, and we can speculate, but, but there's this desire to do something with Moses' body, and, and God sends Michael to protect Moses' body uh, from the desecration that maybe the devil was, was thinking of doing to that body, maybe desiring to resurrect it and cause confusion to the people of God during their exodus. We don't know. But in that, Michael, who is so high in the classifications of angels, recognizes that Lucifer, the devil, is of a higher class than he is, that he does not even bring a, a, an accusatory word towards the devil. He simply says, the Lord rebuke you. And so we get this idea that, that just like in our military, just as we have generals and colonels and lieutenants and all the way down to privates, uh, each, of, each of these angels have a specific place, a specific role of classification uh, that they are subordinate to under the watch of God. We learned that when we talked about demons as well. And so those are the archangels. They, they are the elite special forces. Then you have the seraphim. The seraphim, only spoken about in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah uh, is given a heavenly vision in the year that his king Uzziah had died. He looks up to heaven and he sees the throne of throne room of God And he says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, highly exalted. The train of his robe was filling the temple. And he looks around and he sees these seraphim. And he sees these seraphim flying about with six wings, covering their eyes, their their bodies, and their feet, and, and announcing to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Seraphim are... Uh, those that are given the job of guarding, of guarding, I'm sorry, of of, uh, being the choir. I'm sorry, I'm going to give the cherubim away here in a second. The seraphim are the holy choir of God. They announce over and over again uh, the worship and praise of God in heaven. And then you have cherubs, or cherubim, again spoken of in Isaiah 6. And cherubs are not the cuddly creatures but angels giving the task of guarding the abode of God. They, they are his angel army, if you will. When you hear in the Old Testament where armies of angels have been brought forth to, 
to address the issues of the day, to protect the people of God. These are the cherubs, the guardian cherubs who guard the people of God and, and the, the a person of God. They are, if you will, God's secret service. And they oversee that task. And so we understand a little bit about who they are, their classifications. You also have, just as a point of reference, the angelic host. Uh, I don't want to speak too badly of angels because they are incredible creatures, but these are your run-of-the-mill angels. Okay, these are your errand angels. These are the ones who announce to the shepherds, okay, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Uh, they, they spoke about God, the glory of God, and the highest and on, on earth peace on whom God's favor rests. Those, those are your run-of-the-mill errand angels that are a part of the angelic host. And so we see these classifications uh, of angels. But what, what else do we need to know about them? Quickly, we see that they are curious about how God works. Remember, they are not omniscient creatures. And so they're trying to understand the plan and, and will and works of God. They're, they're watching God, and they've been watching God for some time. And in 1 Peter, Peter gives us a picture of that. And let me read it for you. Speaking, it says, I'll start in verse 10, concerning this salvation, 1 Peter chapter 1, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and subsequent glories. What, what the passage is saying is there, the prophets didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know who Jesus was. His name wasn't there yet. And so they would study the Old Testament Scriptures trying to find out who's Messiah. Who is this one that is going to come and free us? How is he going to do it? Uh, crucifixion during the days of the prophets hadn't even been invented at the time. And so the prophets are saying, how is this anointed one, this Messiah, the promised one, going to free us from our sins? And, and the Old Testament saints would, would inquire. They would look into these things. And then it says, it was revealed to them that they weren't serving themselves, but you in the things that now have been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. So what Peter is saying is, is the prophets, their job was to continue to, to be of service to us so that now we would have a full picture, a full story. So when Jesus came to this earth, we would recognize him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, all because of the prophets and what they had prophesied about what Jesus would do and how he would be um, laid down so that we might be lifted up out of our sin. But notice in this passage, talking about uh, the Old Testament prophets and us and, and this thread of the gospel throughout human history, this is what is said. It says that the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven to preach the good news to us, and these things are the things which angels long to look. They're curious about the gospel. They're curious about redemption. Now, why in the world would angels be curious about it? Let's think about this for a moment. The angels, in, in a time before the creation of the world, the heavenly angels saw a third of their compatriots rebel against God. And in that moment of rebellion, God made a swift and sure judgment. Get out. You are consigned to hell. You will experience terrible sorrow, terrible grief. 
you will endure terrible pain apart from the presence of God. You will always be in rebellion. You will always be in your sin. The angels saw that. And it was a lesson easily and understood very quickly because no angel has ever done it again. The lesson was learned. Now let's fast forward into the Garden of Eden. God creates another creature. God says this creature is pretty great. This creature is a pretty incredible creature. God, just as he does with the angels, has fellowship and, 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 ex- and allows them to experience his presence. Not the same way that the angels did, but now God has created this universe where God has placed this new creature, man, and he's experiencing man in a way or I'm sorry, experiencing God in a way that the angels hadn't either. He's walking and talking with this God. And this new creation, their name was Adam and Eve, they did the exact same thing, just differently. They rebelled against God. And I wonder if the angels in heaven are watching this this narrative, this this picture on display, and, and the angels must have been saying to themselves, here we go again. They are falling to the same trap. Lucifer tempted them, and and they're falling into the same trap as the devil. God's going to destroy them. He's going to send them to a place of hell, and we're going to be done. But what does God do? God brings judgment, but God gives them a second chance. Have you ever thought the angels, what? What about us? There was no second chance. There was no mercy. There was no grace. And then fast forward a little more. Mankind over and over again not only falls to sin, but they do it in incredible fashion. Shaking our fist at God, cursing the name of God, conspiring against God. And and, and in this foment, all of humanity is turned away. We are all together worthless. Angels are seeing that. What a decrepit group of people. And what happens? The king gets off his throne. He puts on flesh. He goes and makes himself lower. The king makes himself lower than us. He puts on flesh. He makes his dwelling among these decrepit people. They spit on him. They abuse him. They beat him. They curse his name. They do all of that. And what does our king do? He goes to a cross. The living God goes on the cross and dies a sinner's death. The angels must have been standing there going, Are you kidding me? This is insanity. For a lesser creature, God, you would do all of that? And here's the result. The angels announce in one voice, praise the name of Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. We don't. Amazing. And yet the angels are curious. They're looking into these things, and they're trying to understand, God, what are, what are you trying to accomplish? Listen, when you are wondering what God's trying to do in your life, you have just joined the angels. Angels are trying to figure it out. They're finite creatures in that way. They don't have all the answers. But they do know that when they don't have the answers, they investigate, but they praise the name of God. Number three, number Number five, one final thing, they cheer when repentance takes place. The Bible makes it clear that one thing angels do understand is the great moment 
when we, a broken and sinful people, are brought into the kingdom. Uh, Luke 15, 7. Luke 15, 7 says, There is great rejoicing in heaven when one enters the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to believe that anytime it speaks of rejoicing, angels are a part of it. So I'm assuming some things that when you came into the kingdom of God, the angels threw a party. God's doing that thing again. We don't fully understand it, but man, he is awesome. That, that, that evil, decrepit individual, how they're singing the praises of our God. They've joined us. Instead of shaking their fist at God, now their hands are lifted up and they are full of love and, and full of, 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 of joy that this God has saved them. Our God, our King. We join the angelic host in, in cheering on, in, in, in rejoicing the new birth of one who was lost. All of this is to say that, ama- that angels are amazing creatures. They reside in the presence of God day and night. They do his bidding. But I would be remiss not to speak of two incredible dangers that can come when encountering angels. Number one, you can look at all this and say, wow, angels are amazing. And what we should do is we should have a part of our service where we sing to the angels. Maybe a part of our service where we cheer on the angels. Maybe a part of our service where we, we give uh, some real focus to the angels. Here's what the scriptures say in Revelation 22, Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. The apostle John falls for this danger. I get it. They're incredible creatures. An angel appears to him, and he bows down as if to worship the angel. And what does the angel say? Get up, don't do that. There's only one guy you bow down to, and that's God in heaven. You don't bow down to me. I am a fellow servant of yours. You say, see, we got to understand that angels are greater than we are, but they are not to be worshipped. We worship God because he's the creator of those great things. And so we need to recognize this morning, we don't worship them. That was an issue in the Colossian church. They were worshiping angels. We shouldn't do that. Number two... Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 says that we don't just because they're these fascinating creatures, we don't just take their word at face value. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says there's this new gospel that is out. And this gospel's wreaking havoc in the church of Galatia. And Paul makes it clear That if I preach another gospel, and then he ramps it up, if an angel from heaven preaches another gospel than what has been preached to you, let them be accursed. Let me tell you, there are two major sects of religions that have received words from angels. Islam and the Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormonism are built on messages from angels that were contrary to the Word of God. And Paul says, be careful, be careful that you don't fall prey. And I like what he says, even if the angels from heaven comes and says something different, you don't believe them. 
And so we need to recognize that just because we may encounter an angel, just because we, we may uh, have an experience with an angel, doesn't mean it's from God. Why? Because the Bible says, listen, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. We need to be careful. Angels definitely have their place in creation. But we have to ask then, long first point, second point, what are they sent to do? What are they sent to do? Now that we understand a little bit about who they are, what are they called to do? The scripture in Hebrews chapter 1 helps us to ask the question. In verse 14, are they not ministering spirits? Now we know who they are, a little bit more who they are. And it says they are sent out. What are they sent out to do? First of all, I wish that the scriptures gave us a complete job description. You know, somewhere in the appendix of the scripture, here is the job description of angels. Here's all that they do. It doesn't. And so we've got to look throughout the scriptures and see what did angels do when they were sent out to do things. And so first of all, we see they proclaim messages from God. The Christmas story is full of angelic encounters where God spoke to men and women. Angels came and spoke to Mary, Zechariah, the shepherds. It took place all the time, and it was to announce things. You're going to have a baby. That baby's been born in Bethlehem. The baby that you're going to have in your old age, Zechariah, is going to be the forerunner of the Savior. These announcements, these messages came. They proclaimed the messages. It also took place not only at Christmas, but also at Easter, when an angel appeared and announced that Jesus was not in the tomb, that he had risen just as he had said. And let us not forget the angel who told John what to write when he was revealed these heavenly visions when he wrote the book of Revelation. These encounters tell us a little bit about what angels do. First of all, when angels appeared to people, they were always men, looked as if men clothed in white robes and brilliant. I don't know if that, you know, UPS wears the brown gear, you know. I, I don't know if angels, that's just their standard gear, okay? I don't know why God chooses that. Maybe that's exactly how they look. I, I don't know. But I know that when they encounter them, they look like people. Brilliant, amazing people, but people nonetheless. The Bible doesn't tell us, is this a temporary thing or a, something that will stand forever? It just tells us that when it declares it. Number two, it almost always seems to scare the daylights out of people. Okay? So whatever they look like, they were something to be seen. Usually, it, it took people's breaths away. They were filled with fear. Uh, this shows us and reminds us these are incredible creatures. In some ways, looking maybe like us, and in other ways, something so incredibly different than us. Number three, in their messages, they always spoke the very words of God. Nowhere in all of Scripture do we see an angel say, Okay, Mary, you're going to conceive of a child even though you're a virgin. And can I tell you something real quick? Uh, us angels got together and we had a softball game and uh, angel team A did this against angel team B. It's only the words that God gives them. It's only the words that God has assigned them to share. They never share about themselves. They only share the information that God gives. It's always right and true, their information. Never do you get an angel in the scriptures that say, um, 
Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. You can find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and you can find him in the pack and play. Some of you don't even get that. You can find the baby in the city of Bartholomew. He's over there, over in America. No, they're very specific. You'll find him in the city of David, in Bethlehem, in a manger. This is what he's going to look like. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's lying in a manger. Their information is always correct. It's never wrong when God sends them with the message. So they don't have faulty information. Finally, they share God's message for his glory, not their own. You never see Gabriel say, yeah, here's the message from God. And hey, take a look. I got some new wings. Remember, I told you they don't have wings as we would. And, you know, look at my halo and and look at all that. I'm a pretty cool-looking dude. There's none of that with the angels. They say, hey, it's all about our king, our God. One final thing that I want you to notice is that angels speak all manners of words. Encouragement, exhortation, correction, and direction. And that should be a reminder for us that as as ambassadors of God, we are to speak all things, encouragement, exhortation, correction, direction into the lives of one another. They spoke words that were exactly what the person needed in that specific place and time. That was their message. Number two, they protect the people of God. We see angels not only speak God's message, but they also are sent to protect human beings. They protected the Holy Family in Matthew chapter 2. How did they do it? An angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Get out of Dodge. Herod's coming. He's going to kill all the boy babies. Go. Get out of here. Joseph listens. In Daniel chapter 6, an angel comes to the protection of Daniel. When the king throws Daniel into the lion's den for praying to his God, Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, and the Bible says that an angel came and shut the mouths of the lions and played the role of advancing God's plans and purposes, not only in Daniel's life, but in the life of a nation. He protects. Notice the angel punishes the enemies of God. An angel punishes the enemies of God. This is most clearly seen, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 32, 21, when it says the Lord sent an angel to come to the aid of King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet and destroyed the Assyrian army under King Sennacherib. It was said that every, in, in 2 Chronicles 32, 21, in that passage, that every mighty man was slayed. And he sent the mighty king of Assyria home in disgrace and shame. How many angels did it take? And how many, how many men were killed? The Bible says there was one angel sent and 185,000 Assyrian mighty men. Those are great odds. And the angel destroys them. What power angels have at their disposal. One final thing that angels do, they praise God continually. One cannot forget that angels do their fair share of praising God. This is most seen in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah, as I've already uttered, is taken to the throne room of God in a heavenly vision, and he sees angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Fast forward to the book of Revelation. Revelation 7, 11, and 12. Revelations chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, speaks of a scenario where the angels lead the people of God in song. 
Once again, notice they do not praise one another. They do not speak about what they have done, but only what God has done and who he is is the subject of their praise. I'm going to add one for you just very quickly. Give me 30 seconds. They provide for our needs. I found that as I was finishing my message after the outline was turned in. They provide for our needs. Write that down. Two places in Scripture. The first, Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, verses 5 through 8, Elijah is running for his life from Queen Jezebel. He has nothing to sustain him, and God sends an angel to feed him and meet his needs. But even more important than that, in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And during the time, he's tempted on three occasions by the devil. And after being victorious over those temptations, after that difficult time, the scripture says angels would come in verse 11, Matthew 4, verse 11, and minister to his needs. Angels would do that another time. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, verses 42 and 43, Jesus would find himself in utter agony understanding and recognizing the pain and sorrow the cross would bring. And he began to sweat blood. It got so bad for him. And in that moment, in Luke 22, verses 42 and 43, we are told that angels attended to him in the garden. Now, what you haven't heard in this sermon are stories of people outside of Scripture where people have had angels watching over them. Let me remind you there are many. There are many incredible stories out there, and I believe many of them are quite possibly true. But to talk about angels' impact in the lives outside of Scripture causes a problem of speculation and discernment. How do I know which one is right and which one's not? Now, there have been many books written, probably the most famous of books written by Billy Graham himself, uh, entitled Angels, God's Secret Agents. If you're wanting to know a little more on how angels may impact the lives around us in the here and now, that book has great stories. Again, you're going to have to use discernment. Are all of them true? Are all of them carry the full validity? I would assure you that some of them come from very famous Christians. John Patton, a famous missionary, has an incredible encounter with angels that protect them from a group of, of tribesmen who are desiring to kill them. Corey Temboom, written in The Hiding Place, speaks about carrying out her Bible amidst the Gestapo around her. And she knows that they can see the Bible, but she sees angels come and, and um, close their eyes to be able to see the, the Bible that she is carrying in, in the moment where she could have been arrested and killed. There are great stories by great Christians who have said that angels are all around us, watching over us, providing for us, protecting us. I have a a story of my own. Again, it's one of the first questions I want to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. But I have an experience in one of the darkest times of my life where, where I believe an angel ministered to me. We are told that when we are hospitable with the things of this world, we never even know that we may be, in fact, entertaining angels in our midst. The Bible says angels are active just as they were in the scriptures. They are active in the here and now. And we need to open our eyes to it, be ready to receive it, but also be very discerning because we know that the devil masquerades as one as well. So one final question, and I will close and get us out on time. What ways are they serving us? That's the final question. In what ways are they serving us? They are told that they are ministering to those who have inherited salvation in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. 
For many of us, we've never been touched by an angel. Or if we have, it's some fleeting moment that has us only asking more questions than anything else. So outside of those miraculous encounters, what do we do with angels? What do the angels, in fact, do for you and me? I want to close by telling you what angels can do for us to help us find victory in this battle, in this invisible war. Angels remind us of a couple things. They show us a couple things. Number one, angels show Christians that our walk with God can never grow stale. That our walk with God can never grow stale. What an important reminder for us this morning. What an important reminder for us as believers. You see, some of us have become altogether bored with God. We've seen all that God does, and quite frankly, God doesn't carry the pizzazz that he once did. Without guilting anybody, I wonder if our epidemic of of church attendance isn't because we as a culture, we as a people, are bored with the things of God. Let me remind you, that the angels in heaven before the earth was created, one-third of them got bored with God. One-third of them grew tired of what God did and started finding other things, namely the devil, who they thought were more important. And the angels remind us over and over again, listen, you can stand in the presence of God in the holiness and perfection of heaven and still fall away. And some of you right now are a part of a great church. You have a great family that's teaching you the things of God. You've got people around you that are, are loving on you with the love of Christ. And, and, and you're sitting there saying, I'm good. I'm, I'm secure. I'm, I'm all set. Let me remind you that in the midst of heaven, angels fell. And what a reminder that that could happen to every one of us as well. Do not fall away. Because it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Number two, angels show us what our world should be like. Angels show us what the world should be like. In Matthew chapter 6, we have the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray this, and we never think about it. i got to be honest with you, in my study, when I, when I came upon this, I never had thought about it in this way. But we pray this, Your will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, Help me out, as it is in heaven. And it tells us something. God's will and God's kingdom is being done in one place right now. Heaven. And it should be a reminder to us that when we turn on the news and we see God's will not being done and God's kingdom not being built, that we are not living the life we should live. We are not experiencing the world and creation as God had it ordered. We are living in a life of rebellion and a life of sin. And we are experiencing the consequences of this. And so we cannot listen. We cannot shake our fists at God when natural disasters take place. And when calamity befalls us say, where was God? God was doing his will and building his kingdom in heaven. And we chose to say no to him. And we are paying the due diligence of our sin. And so it's a reminder that God wants his will to be done here on earth. God wants his kingdom to be built here on earth. And it's a reminder to us, angels remind us how that will and how that kingdom is built through constant obedience to God and his ways. Number three, angels show us what a heart of servitude to God should look like. 
Angels show us what it means to obey. Never do you see an angel. Okay, Gabriel, I need you to go down to Bethlehem. Got an important task for you. Need you to tell the Holy Family this is what we're doing next. No, God, it's too early in the morning. No, God, I'm sick and tired of having to go do your thing. You send Michael. You always send him on the better ones anyway. You don't get any of that. And angels remind us that when we serve, this is how service to God works. God says jump, and angels say how high. That's what it should look like for us. All the while, listen, a heart of service is a heart that worships. They worship day and night, and our lives should be a living testimony of worship and praise towards God. Another thing that angels show us is that we all have a strategic role to play. Listen, every angel has a part in God's redemptive story. There's no angel sitting on the bench. There's no angel who's retired, okay? They don't see any of that. Every time in Scripture you see an angel spoken of, They are fulfilling a specific role in a specific place to a specific people. And that leads us to ask the question this morning. Where is God sending you? Who is God sending you to proclaim his message to? Who is God sending you to to speak his peace? What needs is God calling you to to provide for? What areas, what group of people is God calling you to protect? You could go back to point number two and you could ask the question, and I will say you're asking the right question, when you say if angels are doing this and have not experienced the grace and mercy and love of God, how much more should I be doing it in the here and now? Finally, angels show us how we should see life. Angels do one final thing, and that is to help us remember that our entire existence is for the glory of God. Nowhere in the angel, nowhere do you see in Scripture angels writing books, beginning self-promoting pursuits. It's always about God. Every day of their existence is to the glory of God. And I'm sure if you were to interview any one of them today, they would say it's all worth it. Which then leads us to ask the question this morning, is my existence about his name and his glory. Because we can either live like the angels in heaven or we can follow the rebels from hell. You see, when we live lives apart from God, we are not following the example of angels. We are following the example of devils. When we pursue self and and, and focus on self, and address the needs of self instead of serving others. We are not following in the footsteps of God's heavenly armies. We are going after the insurgents from hell and following in their steps. God has made humanity for one purpose, to worship God and to enjoy him forever. And angels remind us of that and point us to that truth. I am thankful for God's angel armies that are full of spectacular and powerful creatures. The ones who continually fight the forces of evil, who are continually doing the will of God, but even more than that, as great as they are, I'm thankful for a God who is greater still. The one who watches over all of this, the one who has already won the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the time that we could designate to 
to speak to your creation. But we are reminded as fabulous as these creatures are, you are even greater still. And so we worship and praise the name of the creator God who creates such magnificent things. And Lord, in this magnificent creation that you've created of angels, they help us to recognize our role, our ministry, our place of service. They help us understand our reason for being. And Lord, you have given us so many more reasons than even the angels have to do such things. The angels cannot say that the Son of God poured out his life for them but we can. The angels cannot say he became one of us, but we can. The angels can't say that even though we sin and sin, that your grace meets us in our hour of need. Angels can't say that, but we can. And so in this war of sin and evil, we have so many more reasons than even your faithful armies of heaven have to fight, to proclaim, to provide for, to protect, to praise your name. And so, Lord, I pray as we leave this place, every time we see a picture of an angel, every time we hear a song about an angel, every time we we, uh, um, read the word angel, we would be reminded that they are faithful in doing their tasks and a reminder that we should be faithful in ours. Lord, one thing angels don't have is residing within them the Holy Spirit of God. And it dawns on me even as I pray that because we have the Spirit of God in us, we have the ability to do more than the angels could ever ask or imagine. So empower us by that Spirit this morning. Lead us out into a world of sin and evil and temptation so that we may minister and serve those around us as angels minister and serve to us. Lord, I pray that the truth of your word has taught us, but even more than teaching us facts, that it would lead us to greater vitality, greater vibrancy in our relationship with you. Now send us forth in fellowship as we praise your name and announce that truth to one another. Lead us from this place in peace and in safety. And bring us back to fellowship again soon. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.